for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello to all and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Steven and with me is Armand, as always. How's it going, brother? I'm doing good. Well, I can't really taste right now, but... Uh, yeah, you've been dealing I with the I guess I'm flu. doing good. Yeah, I've been uh, dying a, a little bit with the flu and uh, I'm at the stage right now where I can't taste anything and everything tastes the same. <laughs> so, I mean, that's where we're at right now. Yeah, that, that's, that is no fun. But this episode is a lot of fun. We're going to chat some MLS... I sat down with the chairman of Louisville City FC, John Neese. Get to hear on some stadium updates. And what is his take on promotion relegation as a Division II chairman? And then lastly, James Rossi, contributor to MLSsoccer.com, is going to call in. And we're going to chat some CONCACAF Champions League and the big tie between Toronto FC and Tigres. But before we get to that, listeners, don't forget to visit awaydaysfootball.com. For those really cool jerseys that I've been talking about, um, if you use a promo code Uncle Sam, you actually get fifteen percent off, and it's pretty. It's a pretty. It's a pretty sweet deal for a, a random, I'd say, obscure jersey that you can show up to your friends and say, "Hey, look, I was a a fan of FC Wacker before you were." So I mean, <laughs> there you go. I mean, hey, but, so listeners, don't forget awaydaysfootball.com. Twenty-five dollar jerseys. You're not gonna find a better deal. I promise you that. Anyway, Armana. MLS opening weekend, and you've had a pretty op- big opening weekend yourself. You started writing for ProUSASoccer.com. I mean, you completely botched it. It's ProSoccerUSA.com. Ah, oh, there you go. But, go to uh, that website, not the other one. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, I'm the FC Dallas correspondent for ProSoccerUSA.com. I just uh, did my first game, uh, the FC Dallas RSL game, uh, in that gig, and I posted a recap. Three games, I'm posting news throughout. So, I mean, yeah, it's been a busy week. I mean, I was sick, so I quarantined myself for like three, four days so I could be ready for the opening day. But, yeah, I'm excited for this opportunity. It's a really uh, great opportunity. It's a really great project that the uh, uh, trunk has uh, set out, and then hopefully it takes off. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. So go to uh, Unc Sam Soccer Pod and follow Armand Kafai as well. You'll be able to uh, get his updates on FC Dallas and uh, his hot sports takes regarding mm. basketball and soccer. Anyway, Armand, opening day for MLS, and boy, was it interesting to say the least. Yeah. Um, did anyone see or anyone? Did anyone predict uh, Houston blowing out Atlanta 4-0? Well, did anybody predict Columbus Crew going to the defending champs and kind of just shutting them out? Did anyone expect LAFC to win 1-0 over Seattle? Within the yeah. first 36 hours of the 2018 season, unpredictability was was matched, and that's what MLS hopes to have. But is it a good or bad thing? I don't know. I'm on I'm, I'm in both camps on being good and bad. Well, it makes it hard to, to harder to do uh, predictions before the season because it's probably gonna be wrong in the end. <laughs> Well, who's, who cares about predictions? I'm just saying, I just don't know that the consistency of teams, I think, is important to a league. You People watch the New England Patriots not because they like them. 
They want to see them lose because they're great. The same thing with the Yankees. It's the same thing with LeBron or Golden State or I guess at at the time with Sir Alice Ferguson was United or now it's Real Madrid in the Champions League. You watch Real Madrid not because you like them. You just want to see them lose. You want to see them fail. And with MLS, it's kind of like uh, I, I, if you don't have a, a, you know, an evil team, the big, you know, the bad boys, the empire that the New England Patriots are, the NFL, who's going to watch? So there's some games where you sit there and you're like, ah, this game doesn't mean much. I'll turn it off. Or, you know, for a while it was LA Galaxy. Hopefully now it'll be Toronto. Well, not hopefully, but it might be Toronto in the future if uh, they keep it up with the pace they've been setting recently. Yeah, I, I mean, who knows? Any, what, what are some of your observations from this past weekend? So one of my first observations, uh, actually, it kind of came to me while watching the LAFC uh, Seattle game. And it was that I think the NASL, USL market of players uh, in terms of uh, players that MLS teams could target is vastly underrated. And I've listed three players. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's plenty, but these are the three players that when I first thought of it uh, came to mind uh, that played in the NASL or USL last season and actually played big roles in their teams uh, getting results. Um, you had uh, Stefan Pino from Miami FC scoring the equalizer against DC United. I was actually kind of surprised he didn't start the match because he's a very quality player. You saw uh, former Cosmos uh, goalie Jimmy Maurer actually putting in a good shift uh, at goalkeeper in place of the uh, injured Jesse. Yeah, I spoke with him after the game. And uh, How do you feel? Uh, he felt great. He uh, he wants he, he wants to push uh, for that for that spot. I mean, I have a little piece on it on uh, prosoccerusa.com, and uh, he wants to push for that, uh, that starting spot potentially. And do you we've think, seen Oscar Pereira do it. So, well, do you think Jesse Gonzalez's goalkeeping spot is at risk after their performance in the Champions League? I don't think so. I mean, I think it potentially could be, but I don't think it is at the moment. But We've seen with Oscar that he loves competition, and he in, he was he's straight up willing to bench a player uh, if they're not if they're not performing in a competition. He's playing well, we saw that with Sites and Gonzalez multiple times in the 2015 playoffs or in the 2015 season. We saw Gonzalez take over. 2016, we saw Sites take over. Plain and simple. So it, you can see it happening. I absolutely think you can see it happening. And Maurer is a more than capable backup. I mean, we've seen him win soccer bowls. With the Cosmos, and he was also named in the best uh, 11 uh, at some point during his tenure. So I think he's a more than capable backup uh, in terms of that. But back to the NASL USL narrative, we saw Mark Anthony K from Louisville City, shout out Louisville City, uh, he yeah. spoke to their chairman. So uh, he put in a really good shift. I thought he was one of the more impressive players in the in the midfield role, and he was very composed. And I just liked the way he played. He played it really nice. So I think. We got to look at the NASL and USL. There's plenty of players in there. Uh, Cincinnati is actually kind of hogging them up right now uh, in terms of, I think, Namdi. Uh, I, I, I can never get his last name right. But uh, he played for uh, the North Carolina FC, and he's, a, I think, a brilliant playmaker on the wing. And I think they could be serviceable players. I think they're really an underrated. You don't have to go to like Europe to get every every player. You need players that can fill up certain roles. Uh, especially in your substitutes or potentially, you know, fringe starters. Um, and I think the USL and NASL are vastly underrated in terms of that market. I also think that MLS needs to send their young players to USL, to the NASL, because if you if, P, if 
players realize, okay, I'm in the USL, but I have the potential of a club coming in and buying me, it's going to create more competition. It's going to create, A, a better product in the lower divisions, but it, it's going to help MLS from every every squad's going to benefit from that competition created. I, I just wonder why we don't see more players moving up through the ranks. Is there a I mean, bias among I bet you there is some sort of bias, but I mean it's 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 one of those things it's like a it's like a money ball kind of thing. It's one of those things that people overlook and if you use it properly, you could take advantage of it like pretty well. I mean, think about it. Money ball is what it's all about those things that people overlook. If you overlook a player in the NASL or USL, I mean, if someone takes advantage of that market and taps into it, they might be putting a good team together. I mean, we will see. I think as USL grows, I think you might see more and more. I think it's not necessarily a promotion relegation system, but you need to you need USL clubs, NASL clubs to benefit. I know I know clubs who have sold players and they've got nothing for the players they have sent to MLS. Absolutely nothing. And it's MLS is almost uh it's it's kind of like holding the clubs at you know feet to the fire in the sense that MLS controls everything. They get to dictate the the terms, and the lower division clubs can't do anything about it because the player wants to go because it's MLS. It's the highest division in U.S. soccer. You don't have the chance of taking your team and going up. You're kind of you know you're USL, you're Division Two. That's where you're going to be. But if you go to MLS, you're the top division. Yep. So, I I I thought that Jassy Zardes is going to have a very interesting season with the crew. He scored 16 goals in 2014. That's kind of when he broke broke in, right, as a, a yeah. striker. Then ever since he scored six, six and two goals in the last three seasons. So a total of 14 goals in the last three seasons. It's nothing. And then last season, LA decides to play him at right back for three games, and then even bother playing him the last two games. So that trade is, is I think is going to benefit the crew and Zardes for, for two reasons. Zardes gets a change, change of scenery, but the crew also get a, a U.S. men's national team player. There is a market among national team players. You, you know that. So you, you get the draw player. You also get Zardes, who scores against TFC. I think he could be a, a very underrated player this upcoming season. And could make his way back to the national team if he does play well. No, I agree with you, Stephen. When we heard Zardes being played at right back, I mean, I, I for one was baffled. It's just like you're playing a guy who's a predominantly a forward or a winger. You're playing him at right back. It's a joke. Oh, it's a huge and, joke. And I mean, but LA was in such a horrible position at that time. I mean, they finished last place in the league. I mean, what do you expect from a team that finishes last place in the league? It's poor. And I mean, they're at a point where they're just like, oh, let's go try new things. So, I mean, it is what it is, but I think Zardes needed it. I think it's going to be a trade where most people at the beginning were like, wow, L.A. really just ripped off Columbus right there. But I think it's going to turn into one of those trades where you're going to think, wow, both teams actually did benefit from the deal. Absolutely. And I think scoring in game one versus TFC in Toronto, huge for his confidence. Massive. That oh, was- abso- ab- absolutely massive. 
all that weight that was on his shoulders is instantly gone, and now he can just play free. And I, yep, I think I agree. getting I agree, Steven. getting on the score sheet early on for a young younger player like Zardes is, and all, although he has quite a bit of experience, it, it's just it's going to benefit the crew and himself in the long run. Any other observations this past weekend, Armand? Yeah, a couple. I'm just going to run through them quickly. I think RSL uh, vastly underrated. They went under the radar last season, and I, we watched them, or I watched them play uh, in person on Saturday. And, wow, for the first 15, I think 15, 20 minutes, they had 70% of possession. It was, it was, it, they were dominating the game, and quite frankly, they honestly could have won the game. You know, Dallas was applying pressure late on. They could have won the game. I think... Petkey has finally got a good group of guys going. Albert Rusnak has been was really impressive. Zhao Plata is always playing well and scoring goals as he does. I mean, think about it. Petkey won the Supporters' Shield in, I want to say it was 2013 with the Red Bulls and took them to Eastern Conference Finals in 2014. When he got sacked, people were kind of confused. And why did that happen? I mean, yeah. we, 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 we really didn't know. But um, the last 14 matches, uh, not including, I think, they're the last the, the, this this game. They went eight three and three. So they're one of the hottest teams in the uh, in the league, man. Eight three and three isn't something to be. That's that's pretty that's pretty impressive uh, in terms in terms of the way they play. And uh, I think RSL, watch out for them in the Western Conference. I mean, the Western Just Conference saying. is is already open to begin with, so he, they could be a squad that sneaks up on everybody, and, and it. And I'm also curious. Remember, this is a World Cup year, so in, in our week or this past week, Uncle Sam's daily countdown to MLS 2018, I talked about how the World Cup is going to affect this upcoming season. Because if you if you're an LAFC, Carlos Vela might you know is going to be gone. You know, if you're the Galaxy, the Dos Santos brothers, right? So you're going to see players leave. How is that going to affect the league? And in and, and particularly the teams that don't have. T- players that leave they're going to be at at least at 100 percent. the funny thing the funny thing is when you talk about that rsl lost i want to say four or five or six players last year to the u20 world cup yep and so it, and, they, and it hurt and it hurt them you saw it it hurt them that's when they lost to dallas 6-2 and, and they didn't even have a full bench that game yeah i think you're right i don't think they did it hurt them it just if i if i hurt them so i mean We'll see. We'll see. But I think RSL is going to be a team that I'm going to keep my eye on uh, throughout the uh, season. Yeah, and, and this is something else I got from the Dallas RSL game. I'm beginning to wonder if Oscar Pereira is a little overrated. The last 10 games for FCDE in 2017, Oscar Pereira's men got two wins, four draw, and four losses. They allowed 17 goals. They scored 12. But that includes a 5-1 victory over L.A. in the final day. Okay? Just put a little more perspective on that. This past Champions League and MLS play, which includes three games in the span of, what, 15 days, something like that? 14 to almost two weeks. You know, the beginning of the, the, the competition games for 2018. They have allowed four goals and they scored four zero wins two draws and a loss and the crash out of the champions league armand this is not a good start for dallas if, if you put it into context of 2017 going into 2018 i know it's one game in mls and it was a draw so they picked up the point and they were down 
uh, one nothing uh, late into the game. So they salvaged something out of that. But you and I expected bigger things from this Dallas squad, especially how underrated they would be across the league. My thing is, it's it, it was a tough it was a tough period for them. It was a really it was a really tough period for them last last year. They took it really hard. Now you're gonna come back. The defense is completely revamped. If you look at it, you have Nnedi Lockhoff to the left at the left back, center back is Zeke. They're only co- constantly have his hedges because your right back was is Reggie Cannon, who was a part of the team, but he didn't start. And the center mid, you're missing your connector. You're missing Acosta and. Last night we saw Jacory Hayes play. I, I think, I think he's gonna be the breakout player for FC Dallas this year. Jacory Hayes was excellent last night. Um, I'm actually gonna start. I'm, I'm on. on. But, Here's the thing. I get it, but Oscar Pereira and FC Dallas put their eggs in the basket to go out and make a run at this Champions League. At but least. here's the thing. Here's the thing. In the in the in the, in the Champions League, and I was gonna get to that. In the Champions League, when it comes when it when it comes to the way they set up, they always they set up with two really defensive mids, and they and they pushed. It was very Grezo to be that box to box guy, that connector that they that they have with uh, Acosta and Acosta's out or not an injury. When you do that, they got destroyed in the midfield. If you watch them, they were getting destroyed in the midfield, and they were trying to attack through the wings. And I think at some point Oscar is trying to play the is, is tinkering around with that three back line formation and. I don't think he's found the right combination that's worked yet. I mean, we've seen it work in a couple of preseason games, but they're, they're preseason games. It's not, it's not the real thing. I, I get it. It's early on in the season, and what are we supposed to make? What are we going to learn from this opening weekend? Nothing. But what I do want to do is put in perspective in, in the fact that FC Dallas went in for to, to progress in the Champions League. They didn't allow players leave for the January camp. Costa gets hurt. That sucks. But... On a national perspective, you look at it and you look at Dallas and you're like, well, I, why should I pay attention? Why should we pay attention to FC Dallas if you're a, nas- a national guy? Or, yeah, their, their academy system's great, but I think it's not a good start. And there I is... mean, you're right. Obviously, it's not a good start when you lose to a team that's eighth place on the, uh, what, Panamanian League? There's, it's FC not da- a good start. I know, but the expectations with FC Dallas is I don't know what it is for this upcoming season, but... I, it's I, it's not it's not it's 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 lower than you think. It's, it's to get to the it's, playoffs. It's to playoffs. It's not it's not MLS Cup. It's not Supporters Shield. It's get to the playoffs and get back to that. Th- that's true, one hundred percent. But this is the first time where Oscar Pereira is under pressure. Last season he had free realm because of twenty sixteen. Didn't matter what he did in twenty seventeen. Most likely he wasn't going to get sacked. But this year and the start that they have to this campaign campaign. He is under pressure. The expectation's low, but he's under pressure, and those are two different things. I don't think he's necessarily under that uh, as much pre- as much pressure as you think, but he is at fa- facing adver- adversity. I think, uh, especially with, with the carry on. But I mean, we will see how it goes for uh, them in terms of the uh, in terms of the league now that they can focus specifically mm. on the league. I think he's under pressure, but that's just my opinion. Uh, we're definitely going to chat some CONCACAF Champions League later on in the show. you have any other thoughts for MLS before we get to my interview with John Nice? Yeah, um, Atlanta sucks, Seattle <laughs> sucks, and Toronto sucks. No, we're, gonna, we're, we're scrapping all of that. We learned absolutely nothing from yeah. this week in, in, M- in MLS. Uh, don't overreact. Give it at least, I'd say, 10 games before you sit there and see – if we if we've learned anything, I you can see how teams play and their styles, and 
I do you think you can pick think, out individuals. You can pick think. out you can pick out individuals and specific teams, but overall, you can't just say, "Oh, wow, Toronto's gonna miss the playoffs now because they crapped the bed against uh, uh, Columbus at home." You can't say that. We learned nothing from this weekend. It's it's MLS at it, at its finest, that's for sure. But up next, you're gonna get my interview with John Neese, the chairman of Louisville City FC. Joining me right now is Louisville City FC Chairman John Nees. John, how's it going today? Going great. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Um, John, before we get started, could you just tell listeners who Louisville City are? The best soccer team in the USL. <laughs> <laughs> We're based in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, you know, we've been playing in the league for three years. Um, that's who we are. Well, before we get to this upcoming season, let's go back to 2014. You were one of the club's original investors. What made you invest in this club as a Kentucky native? Uh, I think two things. One, I think the state of Kentucky needs more pro sports. Uh, so I thought this would be a good thing both for the city and really the state as a whole. Uh, that was probably the the first reason for doing it. Secondly, both of my uh, sons, who are grown men now, played soccer, and I thought it'd be something that we might all enjoy doing or going to together. Did you always enjoy soccer? Yeah, I'm an old American football guy myself. In my day and age, we didn't really know soccer, but uh, as my sons came along, they, they gravitated to and really enjoyed soccer and they and my nephew really taught the game to me. Was Louisville always a soccer city, or did it have to be transformed with the establishment of the club? No, I think Louisville was already a soccer city. There, uh, youth, youth soccer is very uh, progressive and vibrant in this city. And I believe on the uh, Sunday morning telecasts, even though Louisville is a smaller market, we had uh, more people tuning in to, you know, the uh, Major League Soccer than many cities bigger than us. And then, so, a year later in 2015, Louisville started play. It took three seasons to lift the USL Cup. Since entering the USL, I find this fascinating. Little City, 170 points earned in league play is most by any team in the past three seasons. How does the club manage all this success? Uh, well, I think it starts with Coach O'Connor. Uh, you know, James, Daniel, Tabani, our coaching staff, are they're just excellent, very dedicated people to their craft. Um, and then they've been able to really get out and seek players who get the mindset that we're about here in Louisville and uh, get them, you know, to, to perform to the maximum of their ability. 
Um, so, you know, we, we understand that we have young men who hope to move on in the soccer world, and that Louisville City is just a step in that process. Uh, but we try to make the experience, I think, more about them and where they want to go in their lives and their careers. And I think that just resonates well and vibrates through the community and with the players. Is there a worry that the club might be growing too quickly? Not at all. You know, I mean, I'd like nothing better than to see the club. You know, we're building a new stadium that'll be 10,000 seats, uh, expandable to 20. We'd like to see nothing more than that expansion start uh, or, you know, commence right with the beginning of the building of the stadium and the, the club move on to, you know, MLS. We'll get to the stadium and expansion to MLS here in a moment, but another remarkable thing about this club is the growth of the attendance. In your first season, you averaged just under 7,000, and then in 2017, about 8,800. So how has soccer transformed in the in the city? Well, we have AAA baseball, which is, you know, we, we have a good, good group that owns that, and uh, I think we already had folks doing some summer sports activity. And then I think the soccer uh, crowd, you know, people like the fact, right, that they can get here and most of the time be in and out in two hours. Uh, they can see a very exciting uh, match, if you will, and get close, get up close and personal with the players. You know, we do a lot of community-based uh, stuff, and I think that as much as anything has helped us, you know, get a, get a following. Now, what what makes these fans so special? Because in U.S. soccer, a lot of has to do with soccer culture. In some markets, the fans are phenomenal. In other markets, less so. But Louisville City has a reputation where the fans are really true soccer fans. Why are they so special? I think our fans are just very passionate about soccer. Uh, they understand the game. They appreciate the, the effort, you know, that, that uh, players put out on, on the field. Um, and they just love, they just love soccer. You know, we have a saying here in Louisville, you know, keep Louisville weird. Uh, so I think we're just a little crazier maybe than fans in other places. And, uh, you come to the Louisville city game, you're definitely going to feel the passion of the, and the support of the team from the fans. Now let's talk about more growth, and that's with a soccer-specific stadium. But first, what makes playing in a baseball stadium, Louisville Slugger Field, so hard? Uh, I think the viewing. First of all, you know, the the, the seats aren't really uh, aligned, designed for soccer. So you have some good seats, but we're not as close. You're not as close to the action except maybe in the one end of the field as we'd really like for our fans to be. Uh, so you don't, you know, we don't get as much intimacy as we'd like to have uh, playing in a baseball stadium. Also because just of the, the way that the stadium was designed, uh, the, you know, angle of the pitch isn't optimum um, and the size of the pitch is not optimum. Uh, plus, we play on a, a synthetic, you know, kind of a pro sports uh, turf. 
and we have to fill in the bases and the pitcher's mound uh, for every home game. So you've got to lower that pitcher's mound down and then fill it in, and it's it's just not a perfect uh, venue by any stretch. Right. Has there been any complaints from players or coaches regarding the stadium or just field quality? I think there have been complaints from everybody. You know, I don't think we like it. I don't think our opponents really like it. Um, but, you know, like we like to say, we all are playing on the same pitch. Mm. So it doesn't provide any advantage to us. Um, it's just, you know, it's not ideal. Now, John, I don't want to get lost in the details, but there's been progress made regarding a new stadium. What's the most current update regarding this new soccer-specific stadium? Okay, so we sat about, you know, when I took over as chairman, although I guess the effort was already going on, but we set about uh, trying to locate the perfect property. We found that property. Uh, then we worked with the city of Louisville to purchase um, all of that ground. That's been done. The property had on it an old uh, abandoned manufacturing uh, lift facility. It had an old uh, sort of car, scrap car parts uh, lot. It had some storage and just some old abandoned tank farm. That's about 70% of the way cleared. Uh, we should <laughs> We should finish all the clearing on the site um, probably by the end of April or certainly, you know, by Derby time. So we have a site. We own the site now. We're in, we're in the process of clearing it. HOK is our architect. Uh, stadium designs are probably about 80% complete. We still want some more input from the fans and the supporter groups and, you know, those that are going to be affected. But we're getting very close to having um, a stadium design. We uh, are in front of the state asking for a tax increment financing district. We've been granted preliminary approval. Hope to have final uh, approval or at least, you know, the state telling us, yes, they'll support it in the amount of uh, uh, TIF dollars that we will receive by the end of April also or maybe May. Uh, assuming that all goes well, we'll begin infrastructure, and uh, we plan to play our opening match there in 2020. Now, USL has, I, I guess you would call a, a law or a mandate to have soccer-specific stadiums. Is there any worry that you won't make that 2020 deadline? No. No, we mean we may not. Uh, we're going to make it. We're going to play our first game there in 2020. That's still our goal. And uh, So I'm not really concerned that we won't make that. Now, how will the stadium transform the club? Uh, I just think, you know, with any team, right, you need an identity. You know, you need your own sort of home base. Uh, if you look back, you know, well, if you look at any soccer city or even other sports, Quite often, the team's got a personality and gets defined by its space. And I think we'll do the same with uh, the design of our field. It'll be uniquely Louisville, uh, but it'll also be, you know, uh, 
a warm, inviting environment for soccer. John, what you alluded to this earlier in the interview, and it's MLS expansion. Have you? What are the updates on that? And has there been talks with MLS? We have. We did not uh, get in the first round of teams that submitted proposals or requests. Maybe the right word would be to join MLS. Um, you know, so Nashville has, uh, as you know, been accepted to join the league. Uh, Cincinnati is, you know, vying very hard, obviously, to uh, join MLS as well. Uh, and then there are others that are, you know, maybe maybe they're ahead of us in line. Um, but I believe that MLS is going to look as any as any group should, you know, what makes sense, where are the most logical places for them to go? And also, you know, where can they go that they're the main attraction, you know, so you're not competing with baseball and hockey and football every single week, you know? And I think that's one of the things that really bodes well for us. We don't have all the other distractions that some of these other cities have. Now, MLS is obviously a closed system. Are you worried about this closed system and not being able to get an expansion bid? No, I'm not worried about it. I mean, you know, the uh, I think the USL is a great league. Uh, we enjoy playing in the USL. Uh, if you look at, you know, the Open Cup and, where people have gone in terms of advancing uh, in the Open Cup, the USL has fared pretty well. Um, so I think we bring a very exciting competitive soccer game uh, to the fans. Um, and I think when you look at MLS over time, uh, I know the you know we try to sometimes do things differently, maybe because we're Americans. <laughs> Uh, but promotion and relegation or something similar, uh, in my in my mind, ends up in this country just like it is in the rest of the world over time. Would you like to see it? So as long as we... I'm sorry. What, would you like to see promotion and relegation in this country? Absolutely. We'd be moving up right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the reason why I ask you is that we've spoken with people... Uh, across the lower leagues, and I use lower leagues in, in quotations, across uh, America, and you know they're more likely to say promotion relegation, but you speak with MLS, they seem more hesitant on it, and I find it very interesting as as speak to you as someone who's invested time and, and money into a club and as a chairman, would you be worried about going up through the pyramid and then having that you know, the opportunity or, or the, the nightmare scenario of being dropped back down? No, not at all. Uh, to me, right, mm -hmm. you know, in any nature, you know, you're in it to win it, right? We're here to succeed as Louisville City. Um, and, you know, the, the playing the best competition you can play attracting the, and attracting that quality of player to your team, is what it's all about. So, you know, if we get up there and we can't stay there, we know that we know the rules uh, going in. Mm. Mm. You know, so actually, I personally, 
uh, would embrace that very much. I think that would be very good for us. Now, if MLS did come knocking on your door, the city would have its first, I guess, real big pro sports team. This could, I mean, change the the landscape of sports in America if you guys have this huge MLS team and nothing around it. Um, well, I don't know. You know, we would be such a natural rival for some of the other teams that want to be in MLS. I mean, you know, Nashville, Cincinnati, St. Louis, and uh, Indianapolis are all less than, you know, two, two and a half. Well, Nashville's a little bit further, but are all within about a two, two and a half, three-hour drive of us. Uh, even Columbus is just barely outside of that. So I think when you look at the league o- over time, right, what you're hoping to create is these great divisional rivalries mm-hmm. and then, you know, ultimately the bigger rivalry of the league. Um, and I think, you know, Louisville has a lot to offer. You know, we're more than just the Kentucky Derby. We're the Bourbon Trail. Uh, we've got a really emerging craft beer scene. Uh, you know, we're within, I think it's 300 or 500 miles of the majority of the population. So people could get here. Not only could they see a great soccer game, but they could have a really nice, fun weekend, uh, you know, following their favorite team. I want to pivot here to, obviously, the USS soccer election here. We have a new president, Carlos Quadero. I was just wondering if I could get your thoughts on him being the new president. Uh, I've not met him. I don't know him. I really would have no comment there, you know. Now, were you paying attention to the election cycle and, and process? Yes, we were. I mean, we're watching it, obviously. Uh, but, you know, like you said yourself, we're we're three years old. Uh, we're new to the soccer universe. You know, the I think while some of the owners have a uh, some history with soccer, for many of us, this was a brand new thing uh, when it was proposed, you know, four years ago. Now, what do you make of the current state of USL? Uh, I think the USL is in a very, very uh, healthy spot, you know. Um, they're obviously <laughs> a growing league, and, you know, Alec and Jake are working hard to do the things that, you know, they need to do as a, as a mature league now. Uh, the interest in the USL is certainly growing. I believe we're uh, going to be up to about 36 teams in the next year or two. Uh, there's also a lot of interest in a D3 league. So, you know, I look for the USL to continue to expand and to continue to bring soccer to, you know, the rest of the United States. Now, let's look ahead to 2018. What are your expectations following a championship year? Well, my expectations, obviously, my hope would be that we win it again. Uh, we certainly believe that we will be very competitive. Um, you know, one of the great things about soccer, though, right, is, you know, it, it's uh, it's such a competitive game. Mm. Uh, but I was listening to, uh, actually, I got a chuckle. I was listening to one of the local podcasts here, and they were lamenting the fact that we had not made a lot of changes on our roster. 
and I just sort of chuckled and said to myself, well, if you've got a, a bunch of 20 somethings in their prime, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they just want it. Why would you want to make a lot of changes? Mm. Uh, obviously you, you hope to improve, but you know, the nucleus, uh, is pretty good. Uh, we lost Mark Anthony K to the MLS to, um, LAFC, or at least he's out, you know, he's there uh, with them. He'll be a, a difficult player to replace. Uh, Mark was a great player, great leader, and just had the right attitude. Uh, so he was very much a big part of us. But, you know, as a USL team at this point, our job is to get our players ready for that move or to help them make that move on up. So we, while we hate losing him, we were delighted to see him get the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, John, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us on the show. Uh, here on the show, we do have a shameless plug, so I just wanted to give you the opportunity to, to plug whatever you'd like, whether it's your personal Twitter account or Louisville City. Oh, I would only say two things. Louisville City uh, is what we want to plug you know, we want fans to get to know us. Feel free to reach out to me by the Twitter account. We'll make sure you get your Louisville City gear. Well, there you go. Well, John, pre- pre- thanks for having me. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Thank- take care. Hi, Greg. Bye-bye. So that was John Neese, chairman of Louisville City FC. Really interesting story we got going on in U.S. soccer regarding that club, Armand. Um, They have been really good, like insanely good. The 170 points is huge. They have the most points since they've entered the league. They've been to the conference final. They've won the cup within three seasons. It's. I just wonder if... MLS will give them their fair shot because you've seen nothing but growth on and off the field. This is a tough question. It's a really tough question. Depends. Is MLS going to expand to 30, 32, 34, no, 36? No, they're not. Because if they're not, they're not going to get the bid. Plain and simple. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just going to break down like that. Like They're not going to get the bid. Unless you open up Pyramid and... Wait, 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 wait. No, but you seriously don't think Louisville will get a shot? Nope. Because MLS still has to announce a team this season. Well, this season, no way. Because it's definitely between Sacramento and Cincinnati. Okay, fine, fine, fine. The next season, you have a team like Phoenix. But you still have have to announce... If Detroit gets their together... You might have put them as 30. No, 20, no, no, no. So right now we're at 24 with Miami. 24 with Miami, correct? And Next... Nashville's 25. Oh, crap. Nashville, you're right. I forgot about Nashville. 25 so with Nashville. So 26. So 27-28. They could get one of those 27-28 slotted teams. I, I, I don't even know. Unless something de- de- drastically changes, I don't see it happening Assuming at all. FC Cincinnati gets the other, the Sacramento will get one. Even if Sacramento doesn't get one, Phoenix, potentially San Antonio, maybe if you really if you really want to go to Texas, 
if you wanted to go uh, somewhere else, Louisville the team uh, put in an expansion bid. They're not going to get they they would they wouldn't get expanded into. I don't think they would. And yeah. honestly, I don't think I think they would like this growth that they're at right now compared to just jumping into MLS. I mean, fair enough. USL is growing well too. I mean, it, it's it'd be interesting to see it. But it's he a great also, investment. But he also talked about how he wants to see the pyramid opening, and he's he's okay with the risk and reward that that follows. And I think that that is very different from what you get because owners are so reluctant, saying, "You know what? Yeah, I understand." Like it, it's a it's a. a a breath of fresh air in honesty from somebody who's the chairman, who's invested in the club financially, who leads the club. Uh, it's just insane to to hear that from somebody in USL. Because I don't think it's that insane, though. I don't think I don't think we've heard much from USL regarding promotion relegation, though. I'm sure if like someone asked, I mean, if, what, you asked, if you're a second division team, sure. of course you would want promotion to the first league, of course. But but you That's, have to. It, it's an MLS owner that, if you ask, hey, is promotion relegation? Uh, do you think promotion relegation should be a thing? They're the ones that, if someone says yes, you're like, "That's news." Because, yeah, but you have to assume risk. There is still risk. If you, at any NASL club, yes, of course, because you're at the bottom. You're not going down anywhere, for the moment at least. But if you're in USL club. You're the best team in USL. There's a chance that it doesn't work out. You get you go up, then you come right back down the following season. Yeah, you can, but you want the opportunity to be up. It's yeah, sure. Not but the opportunity to I just up. think I personally, it's the first time I've heard from a USL employee, somebody who who's important to the league, say I'll be like, yeah, I understand both the risk and the reward. That's all. That's all I'm saying. We've been eyeing. The CONCACAF Champions League, we've been talking about it. We've been seeing it. The quarterfinal matchups are set. Uh, we have the, we have the matchups between Guadalajara, Chivas Guadalajara and the Sounders, the Red Bulls and uh, Cholos, uh, Club Tijuana, Tigres and Toronto, the big matchup, and Taro FC against Club America. Those are the four matchups for the quarterfinal. Uh, Armand, I'm, I'm, I, as a fan, I can't wait. I am so excited. I'm I'm excited to see, quite frankly, all the games. Yeah, too. And for the 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 tiny tiny bit, the the, the smallest chance that you could have a Seattle Toronto final. That is you're just, obsessed with that. <laughs> well, that is my prediction for MLS Cup. I'm the, the fact that I could get it so early. Be like, look, two best teams in North America meeting up. Screw the MLS prediction. This is even so. Better. I actually, I actually have a little bit of a hot sports take. Um, I think the Red Bulls are going to be a team to look out for to reach the Concacaf uh, final. Really, I wholeheartedly think the Red Bulls have a really good shot. Uh, you play, you play Cholos and in, in, around I me. Mean, Cholos isn't, isn't the. It's not like you're playing as a, a a powerhouse. I mean, Cholos is still a quality team, but also, um, I think a key factor is that the Red Bulls actually played on turf, and uh, Cholos actually play on turf uh, at home because they can't physically go grass. And I think that's that's a huge. I think a huge advantage I think that Red Bull has compared to maybe another team that goes into uh, uh, Tijuana, and then you play either a, a Chivas or a Seattle. Seattle, I mean, they might be looking more sharp, but I don't. Th- I don't think they'll be as sharp. And 
Chivas, Chivas has been struggling in the Liga MX. Now, will that translate to CCL play? I don't know. If you look at Toronto's side, they have a gauntlet of a schedule. You could play Tigres and you could play America, two of the biggest teams in Mexico. I mean, Toronto is the best team in MLS, and you'd love to see them face this, uh, comp- uh, this opposition and win. But if you're being realistic, I think Red Bull, especially with the new addition of Kaku, uh, they could honestly provide a little bit of a surprise. But Armand, let's chat Rossi. some Toronto FC stuff here with uh, James Grossi. You can follow him at Twitter at Grossi, G-R-A-W-S-E-E. James, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you guys doing this evening? We're doing great. Um, yeah, we're doing good. We're doing good. James writes for MLSsoccer.com, covers Toronto FC. That's why we're having him on. James, how excited are you for this CONCACAF Champions League tie? Yeah, you know, it's been really nice to have uh, the Champions League back here in Toronto. Uh, back in the in the battle days, these were always some particularly special nights down at BMO Field. And so we got a bit of a taste of it, of it with that Colorado series over the last two weeks. And now everyone's pretty excited about Tigres coming to town. After the, the, the season opener with uh, Columbus, um, is was there a, a little bit of a, a worry going into this uh, matchup midweek? Yeah, you know, it was it was really tough to sort of get a vibe from the players in terms of how that result will affect this midweek game. Uh, you know, you never want to start your season out with a loss. And, you know, it, it's not so much the loss as it was sort of the, uh, the general lack of urgency mm-hmm. that there was in that performance, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's sort of a question mark. You know, we also saw Victor Vasquez go off the pitch with a, with a bit of an injury, which is always a concern as well. You know, uh, this is a team that they're very focused on on this CONCACAF Champions League opportunity that they have ahead of them. I don't think they would ever say so, but, you know, this MLS game sort of came at a bad time for them in terms of, you know, you just come off two, two tough matches against Colorado. Not particularly tough because the Rapids are, are fearsome, but <laughs> more so, more so, you know, in altitude and that, you know, yeah. blustery conditions. <laughs> And then, you know, Toronto is not exactly warm this time of year and and the pitch isn't quite in the shape that Toronto really wants it to be. So, you know, I I think if they didn't have to play this weekend, they would have been more than happy to just focus on Tigres. Do you think that the weather is going to play a factor in, in playing in Toronto? And how do you think that's going to affect Tigres? Um, you know, it's always hard to tell. The, the conditions are the same for both sides, so I don't think either one will really look to that as an excuse. Uh, it, it's look, it's looking like it's going to be a rather chilly night. You know, a week and a half ago, Toronto was nice and, you know, temperatures in the 60s or 70s, but it looks like come game time on Wednesday, we're going to be hovering, hovering around zero, if not dipping below it. We're going to have a little bit of alternating snow and frozen rain, so... You know, it's a it's a pleasant Canadian welcome for the for the boys from Mexico. Uh, in in terms of how they're going to react to it, you know, I always kind of feel like as long as as long as you're prepared for it and you know what you're coming into and you know dress appropriately and, and get yourself psyched up, then the weather's not going to be too much of an issue. I, I presume you know Tigres knows what they're coming up for and and they'll have a game plan in mind. I think I think the pitch condition will be a little bit difficult on both sides in terms of how the game will play just because you know both teams will like to keep the ball on the carpet and it's it's a little bit bumpy and a little bit 
a little bit uh, loose, I guess, would be the way to describe the pitch in terms of sort of coming up underfoot and a little bit bobbly, and that'll sort of distract from both teams sort of uh, passing the ball around. Barring any injuries, should we expect the same lineup from TFC as one we saw uh, against the Columbus on Saturday? No, that was one of the really strange things about that Columbus game was that, you know, when uh, Toronto put out a really strong lineup for the first game against Colorado mm-hmm. and then, you know, you have the two-goal advantage and you're coming home and you think that's your chance to sort of, you know, change things up and give guys a rest. And, and you know, Vanny trotted out the exact same 11 for that second leg, which was a bit of a formality. And then come this weekend against Colorado, we see Gregory Vanderbilt get a start. We see Garrett Ketche get his his uh, first start for mm-hmm. the club. And we saw a couple of other little changes as well. And that sort of struck me as uh, that's part of why I was saying that, you know, perhaps they, they wouldn't have minded not having this MLS game smack mm-hmm. in the middle. So, you know, Vanny's in a situation where uh, one thing that he'll tell you, and he's been sort of preaching this over the last couple of weeks, is that all these early matches are sort of about gathering information and, and he'll be using every every second of game film and every bit of data that comes his way to sort of be assessing the team and seeing where uh, where he can tweak things, how things are working out. And you know, this time of year, especially when you bring in some new players, you're sort of working on developing those relationships. And so, when it comes to the side that went out against Columbus, you know, I kind of think it was a bit of a risk to not play Marky Delgado. It was a bit of a risk to hand two guys who have sort of, you know, just joined the club in the last week or two their debuts so you know i would be very surprised if he trotted out that same sort of formation that same 11 come wednesday james i'm curious to know what is the expectation among fans regarding the champions league because armand and i were chatting before you came on and armand thinks the red bull the red bulls have the best chance of, of reaching the final toronto has a gauntlet if they were to get past tigres they end up would probably end up playing Club America, who have been excellent in Liga MX. Yeah, I mean, the first round draw was was kind, but after that, I mean, uh, if they're going to make it to the final, they're going to earn their way there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can... These are really tricky games to sort of forecast, because you're never quite certain how seriously the Mexican sides are going to take it, in terms of, you know, they have their league going on, it's early, you know, Tigres is well-positioned. But, I mean, are they going to trot out their first team for an away leg in, in Canada in March? You know, that's until we see what lineup they're going to put out. You know, nobody can be quite too certain. Uh, in terms of fan expectation, you know, it's tricky because I think as much as everyone's sort of proud of how well this team has done in the last couple of years and, and is still sort of riding that, that high from, from winning the MLS Cup uh, last year, amongst other things, um, you know, it, it's... I think you sort of take the Champions League as, you know, you go as far as you can, and as long as the team puts out an effort and, and does themselves proud, then I think that's all you can really ask for. Uh, who's a player that we should watch uh, on TFC that isn't Altador, Giovinco, or Bradley? Well, I mean, you're going to want to watch all those guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they better Victor show Rock up. Is fit. <laughs> I know, I know. It's... Uh, how far TFC will go in this competition will very much depend on on how well those three players can sort of impose themselves on a match. Um, you know, Vasquez is uh, he was a real difference maker for the side mm-hmm. last year. But aside from mm-hmm. those, I'll give you two other guys that I think will be really important. sweet. Um, 
I could name a couple others, but I'll stick with these two. You know, Marky Delgado was was markedly missing from that midweek game, just in terms of, you know, he he plays a very simple game, but it's just it's so quick and it's so safe and that sort of, you know, Vanny will describe it as the few seconds that Marky saves them moving the ball throughout the middle of the pitch gives those seconds to Josie Altidore and to Sebastian Jovinko. And, you know, when Jovinko has a sick, has a, an extra second to work with, you know, he can do some damage when Josie, you know, is on song and, and he gets the balls in the right spaces, you know, he's, he's on, there's no way to mark him out of a game. He's just that unstoppable when, when the situation is right. And so having Marky Delgado back in there as sort of, you know, a, a sidekick to Michael Bradley, sort of a, uh, he he makes everything much more fluid in the midfield, and that's key. And then in the last, you know, I want to say the three matches this year, one of Toronto FC's best players has been Jonathan Osorio, and you know, there's nobody who works harder than him. There's nobody who's uh, more tenacious out there, and he has he has this knack for sort of slipping out of pressure and and being for everything that Marky does deep in the midfield. Osorio does something similar a little bit further up. So those two, especially against Mexican side where, you know, you know, they're going to be fantastic on the ball and you're going to have to make the most of your possession. I think those two will have to have big games. What do you, in the grand scheme of things, do you think this is the first time that MLS and these clubs from MLS, now obviously Toronto represents Canada, but these MLS sides have expectation to do well. I think that obviously FC Dallas crashing out. Uh, at least Twitter world went haywire on the fact that they lost to a side that's sitting in eighth place in Panama. Yeah, you know, expectation in this competition is is difficult. Um, you know, MLS has very much put, you know, since back when, when Salt Lake had their magical run to the final, this has really been... Uh, sort of a milestone that the league has been waiting for in order to sort of, you know, this is, this is a proven ground. It's a testing ground. It's where, you know, we can all say, Oh, where would this MLS team fit in the English system? If they were to play against the championship side, you know, would they get relegated? Would they do this? And like, those are all unknowable questions. They're all just, you know, we can say this or we can, we can think that, but there's no way to prove it. And so the champions league sort of provides a real chance to, to take your best teams and sort of have them go toe to toe with some of the best teams in your region. And you, you can sort of see where you stack up now, you know, the conditions are never perfect. You know, some people are coming off of off season. Some people are in the middle of their season. So there's always those sort of gray areas in terms of direct comparison. But, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if I would say expectation is up as much as, as hope is up. You know, we've seen the league take a lot of steps in the last couple of years to sort of, close a little bit of territory in terms of salary budgets between, you know, Liga MX teams and MLS teams and a lot of this TAM and GAM and assorted other allocation monies that we're seeing mm-hmm. is sort of, it's sort of not necessarily designed for this purpose, but it's definitely something that's been in their mind of if we want to really compete on the same stage as these big teams, we're going to need to be spending a little bit more money. And, you know, back at, uh, at the president's breakfast, which, uh, Toronto FC held here back in the middle of February, you know, both Tim Bezbachenko and Bill Manning were sort of saying that, uh, you know, this Toronto FC team is, is perhaps the best equipped MLS team ever to go into that, this competition. And, you know, the rationale behind that was, you know, not only do you have the three designated players and, and Bradley and Jovinko and Alcador, mm-hmm. and then not only do you have a guy like Victor Vasquez, but 
you know, you add in Gregory Vanderbilt who played in a World Cup final, and you add in, uh, you know, Akeche who's been playing, you know, who, who broke into La Liga with with uh, Athletic Bilbao, and you know, you have this new guy Aro, this Brazilian right back who's, uh, you know, he's only 22, but he came up through the Sao Paulo system, and you know, their basic point was that, uh, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times, if you're uh, you know, the most MLS player of like five, 10 years ago was sort of like a, uh, a kid who, you know, came up through the college system and sort of went pro and was sort of cutting his teeth in MLS. Right. right. Look at this Toronto FC side and you have Vanderbilt who played in an MLS in a world cup final. Sorry. And then you have Sebastian Jovinko who played with Juventus. And then you have Michael Bradley and Josie Altador, uh, whatever American fans may think of them at the moment who have really <laughs> tested themselves on some of the biggest stages that the game allows. And, you have Victor Vasquez who, who came up at Barcelona and these are players that aren't going to go out there and uh, shirk the responsibility of playing on the big stage that this is. And so, you know, I think everyone's just really excited to see how the team looks against, uh, you know, some of the best opposition North America has. Now for our final question, it's sponsored by our, our sponsor away days use promo code uncle Sam for 15% off your purchase. It's about jerseys. What do you make of Toronto's new jerseys? Uh, the new white ones? <laughs> yes. Uh, they're nice and clean. You know, I, I'm sort of partial to the one that they replaced. The uh, It was sort of modeled on the city of Toronto flag, which is why there was that little touch of blue and a team that's sort of been red and white for most of their existence. And, you know, I'm sure it'll grow on me. The uh, the gold star is very nice. But, you know, that, uh, that city of Toronto flag jersey was sort of one that was very prominent in a lot of big moments for this club over the last couple of years you know if you think of that the ridiculous eastern conference final against montreal back oh in my goodness when, yeah that was that was a game that, was that nobody was going to hello forget. Again. Uh, it was it was insane and benoit those were sort of the images that that have really stuck out over the past year and so that that jersey bit of blue sort of uh, you know really came to life in those moments and so the new clean white one you know it's got some work well James we really appreciate taking time and, and to speak to us here on the show we do have our shameless plug so please plug away where we can find your work as well as where we can follow you on Twitter Oh, it's been a pleasure, guys. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Grassi, as you said, G R A W S E E, and uh, you know we'll be we'll be ramping up towards Wednesday's game over at MLSsoccer.com, and I always do a bit of work for Waking the Red if, uh, if people want to check that out as well. Sweet. Well, we appreciate it, James. Thank you so much. Thanks, James. Oh, it was great, guys. Thanks for having me on. I mean, Toronto Tigres is by far the biggest matchup. You would, would you say so? Absolutely, it's the most fascinating matchup. I think it's one of those where all of MLS is going to rally behind Toronto, and all of Liga MX is going to rally behind Tigres. And uh, I also feel like we'll, a we'll lot see. Of, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I feel like a lot of Americans don't know much about 
the the Liga MX uh, Liga MX sides. Yeah, man. Um, I knew a lot about them last in the uh, I think it was the uh, Apentura. I'm not sure, but I don't know that much about them this year. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's but it's so easy to keep track of. You think about it, the games are always on cable TV. They're yeah, on, I mean, really Unimas, easy to find. Univision, they're always there. They're really easy to find. Unlike some MLS games, they're always on cable TV. Um, you have like people like uh, John Arnold, Tom Marshall, all these guys who are uh, covering the game in English and Spanish. So it's getting easier. But if I feel like if Liga MX kind of embraced that American side and that e- English-speaking people want to watch it, it'd be interesting. Like I follow uh, Tijuana's English account. That helped me. Uh, follow, uh, that helped me follow the game and follow the team. But like outside of that, I mean, they don't really have English-speaking accounts. I mean, they just announced that they're progressing to uh, adding some, and the Mexican national team has added some. But outside of that, I mean, if they were willing to step up, I think they would gain huge traction. For sure. Quickly, Armand. So t- Toronto Tigres is the biggest matchup, and I think it, it's it's going to come down to is if Toronto can get a a, a goal at home or take some sort of goal in advantage and not allow Tigres to score in the first leg. And then because Tigres is probably going to go a lot harder in Mexico than they are on the road. And, and they're going to have such a home field advantage in Mexico. That, no, that, I agree. But what about Seattle? What about the Red Bulls? The the other two MLS okay. sides? I'll, I'll, I'll give you all my predictions for these matchups. All of them. I think Chivas will knock off Seattle. I have this really just weird feeling that Chivas is going to step it up and knock off Seattle. I see Red Bulls knocking off Cholos. Uh, like I said, Red Bulls' familiarity with turf is really important. And also, um, I expect they're getting momentum. We didn't see Kaku start, and now we're going to see him start and play. It's going to be really exciting to see. I think, now hear me out, I think Toronto will knock off Tigres because Tigres will not take it as, I don't think they'll take it as seriously as uh, teams expect them to. I expect America to knock off Taro. So I expect uh, Seattle or uh, Chivas, Red Bulls, and uh, Toronto, uh, Co-America semifinal. I think uh, Chivas will lose to Seattle. They're currently 16th in the league. They have a minus five goal differential. They've won one game, Armand. One game. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, I mean, it Taro is... is eighth place. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. In the Panamanian League, so there you go. No, but there you go. And then, you know, how often do you see a, a team in in UEFA do well in the Champions League and not necessarily do so well in their own league? You know, they could yep. get to semifinals and be fifth or fourth in the league. It, it's possible. It's cu- I'm curious to know the mentality of both MLS and Liga MX sides because if both of them take it serious, you can have a really fun matchup. But if one of them takes it less serious than the other. Like, for example, Toronto versus Colorado, where the coach comes out saying it was a preseason game. Yeah, it's it's not a yeah. good look for the competition. It's not a good look for the league. It's not a good representation of the club itself. It's not good. So I'm excited. I'm really excited to see, you know, you have really mouthwatering matchups across the board between Liga MX and MLS uh, MLS sides. No, I agree, but you didn't finish the rest of your predictions. I want to hear them. Oh, it's MLS, and then the side from Panama is going to get to the true. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I love it. I love it. I love it. I love I the MLS optimist. Steven, Steven is now the MLS optimist. I am I mean, the MLS optimist if you, now. If you would have told me that shit two years ago, <laughs> I would have been surprised, man. This guy hated MLS. Now he's MLS optimist. I man. want he's... Seattle, Toronto in the CONCACAF Champions League. Dude, look finals. at this. He's MLS, he, he's MLS optimist. I love it. I love it, Steven. But, um, Armand, guys, I'm just, I'm make just... sure. I'm, I'm, what, what is it? I'm going to tell you. If Seattle, Toronto make it to the final, you buy me a jersey. I'll buy you a cheap-ass knockoff. Why am I going to buy you a real jersey hey, from either of them? You buy me one from our sponsorship away days. Okay, that's okay. That's that, that's fair, but you already owe me one. I'll send you one. Don't worry. All right, we'll send each, we'll send, we'll send we'll each, send other, each one. other one. We'll send each other one. So, oh, my God. Anyway, but follow guys, us on Twitter. Speaking of away days. Speaking of away days. What? Make sure you... Show them some love. Uh, go on their website, buy a jersey, use Uncle promo code Uncle Sam for fifteen percent off. And uh, I mean, if you buy a jersey and you get a really cool thing, I mean, I'm just letting you know, like they're twenty five bucks. All- Everybody loves soccer jerseys. Twenty five bucks, you're not gonna find it. You're gonna find for twenty five bucks, you're gonna get a jersey that is fake. Yeah, like the ten I own. <laughs> exactly. Don't be Armand. Follow us on Twitter hey. at Steven Jodder and Armakafai, Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. Shout out to assistant producer Jake Watroba in Minnesota because I forgot his name last episode. Um, yeah, we'll be back next week with some more stuff. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what's coming up next week because we don't have anything planned. Whoops. Bye. Bye.